firmware fluctuates from year to year. Probably this year it'll actually be uh, more people will have one just because of COVID times and people are trying to get out there and do them. Right. There's, there's been a little bit more an incentive to do to do yep. something. What is interesting about that to me always is it's a, Americans have always been very jealous, I think, uh, as individuals of the, their power over their stuff, so to speak, over their lives as individuals, over their property, over their, their families. And this is one place where they can lose control of some of that, but in the end, don't end up doing anything about it. And, and I saw some discussions in my reading today, uh, you know, why is this in fact the case? And one of the things that they usually come back to is uh, a lot of people don't like to talk about the end times. And so they, they put it on and procrastinate. That's my experience, too. It's most people, it's a morbid topic. So when you have to get down to the nitty-gritty of, of what's going to happen when you pass away or whether you're incapacitated and have, unfortunately, a dementia or have a stroke in life, then it's, it's not something that's easy to discuss. It's kind of that vulnerability thing about it. You know, one thing I've forgotten to do tonight, and I'm going to do this before we take our first break, and then we're going to, if you don't mind, if you using me as an example, let's make a will tonight. Yeah, maybe that's a good way to, to confer. Sounds good. I'll definitely do that with you. Can talk about it. Or if you've got a, now you're the brains of this outfit now. I'm just a radio guy here, but uh, I have, my job is to try to think of a way to best present something. But if you have, if you have any ideas or you want to go off on any track, that's... Uh, uh, that's uh, uh, certainly all right. What I forgot to do was to tell our audience who you are. You you are uh, a member of the firm of Smith, Dednam, and I always say Ed Isle. There are actually six names, I think, on the thing. And, I, and our, friend John, uh, our friend John would be the next one if we went through all the names. But uh, I never can remember all of them. Do you, if you want to say them, you're welcome. Uh, uh, oh, gosh. Smith, Dednam, Naren, Drake, same thing in Myers. There you go. There you go. And when I first started having John Naren on many years ago, and Beth Godfrey, I know you know her, uh, it oh, was, yeah. the name was, was greatly different then. But uh, it's good to have you with us and can carry on a tradition. Uh, because I think this is really, it's, it's really funny to me that people let go their power over their stuff uh, and procrastinate and don't make a will because that's what's necessary. And when my mother died about 15 years ago, I was so proud that she had left things in good order, if you know what I mean. In fact, I got to be, I got to be the executor, and it was really a fairly easy job. It was a, lot of, a little bit of detail, but beyond that, there wasn't, there wasn't much of a problem. But you, we've already mentioned that you are from, uh, from Michigan, and I think your law degree, you said, was from Michigan State. And uh, yeah. you've been in Raleigh for a while, and you are... What is your specialty with Smith Adam? Yeah, so I've actually been in North Carolina for 10 years, moved here in 2010, and then um, my specialty is estate planning and estate administration. So okay. I do all the typical planning tools here at Smith Adam, which is either wills, trusts, powers of attorneys, so, you know, durable power of attorney, healthcare power of attorney, advanced directives, all the things that kind of put the plan into place and implement it with a good strategy is what we do. Okay, that's, that's, that, that identifies where, you, where you're coming from. And I hope tonight, in addition to making out the, the thing that we usually regard as a, a will, that piece of paper that, that says where things are going to them, that you will talk about the, the, those uh, sort of tangential items, the power of attorney and, and things like that. So, so people, 
will be comfortable. In fact, uh, one of the things that I read today, in addition to people not wanting to confront the issue of making a will, etc., uh, because of uh, talking about the end times, one other thing that, that they were wary of is they just didn't know how to begin the process. And maybe we can give them a little, little bit of an idea about how to do that tonight. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that and sounds gonna, pretty Okay, you're going to be on the platform. You're going to be. We're, we're, I'm going to walk in the door of your office, and I'm going to tell you I want to make a will, and you're going to, going to teach me to, uh, right after. Yeah, we no problem. I, I can use my family as an example, so I can do it as well. And it's pretty. That's yeah. kind of how I always do it when I'm in my meeting. Well, if you if you want to use them, you can use them too. I might give out some secrets that I don't even realize I have. But in any event, <laughs> that, that's that's what's coming up. Uh, Andrew Board is with us from Smith Denham to talk about wills and and things that have to do with planning for uh, dealing with one's estate, whatever that estate may be. Uh, we're going to take a break, and right after we do this, we're going to make a will for somebody. Tonight, we're doing our annual visit to uh, our lawyers and uh, to talk about uh, making a will. And, uh, and I'm, I'm in favor of doing it this way, although as I think... Andrew Board, who is our guest tonight, might tell us that you don't necessarily have to have a lawyer involved. I just believe that I'm safer when, when all the person who is an expert who's covered all the bases and knows when the, what the words mean and what would happen if something was left out is, is in charge. It's one of those investments that is probably worth it. So, Andrew, are you ready to, to, uh, to tell us what, where, where do we start with this? Because, as I said, a lot of people won't begin the process of making a will because they don't know where to start. <laughs> but, uh, usually the, the first thing would be trying to get in contact with what I'm supposed to be here, especially uh, either through phone and scheduling a meeting with us. So we'll sit down. We just sit down, kind of first and foremost, go over. I always start with just giving, getting the information on the family. Um, and like in the case of me, I'm, I'm married. I have two kids. And really, kind of what the planning goals are for the either the family unit, if it's the husband and wife, what they want to see happen with each other, and also what they would want to see happen if both of them passed away at the same time, and they had and their children were ultimately to receive stuff. So we go over that. We go over kind of if there's any family issues that we need to be aware of. If there's try if there's gifts that they want to get to specific family members, and then also just who's going to be your executor of your will. Um, those are the basic questions we start with when we're trying to get the structure and the design of what we're trying to do with the will. And, and, and I guess what you have to do is, I mean, if I were there, I would, I would start with the, uh, if you were talking to me and, and I'm, uh, and it was my family, I would say, well, how do we choose an executor, you know, or, uh, uh, you know, sometimes that that can be a dividing question. Uh, uh, you know, they're, they're, this is a, a place also where sometimes who you leave what to or not leave what to or who's in charge, whatever, can be a divisive kind of issue. So one one has to mm -hmm. sort of understand that yeah. that out, I guess. Yeah. So that usually for for my case and a lot of for a lot of my clients as well, it's going to be. So, so when you're married, it's always going to be the spouse first and foremost. Um, if it wasn't the spouse, then it would be some trust issues there that we kind of be worried about as attorneys. And then second is it's usually going to, if you have children, it's going to be one of the children. Um, we get the question a lot of, you know, multiple children. Can I have multiple executors? 
working at the same time, and that's fine, but it's really difficult as well because when you have when a decision needs to be made, usually it's going to have to have you know, it's going to have to have agreement with everybody, and sometimes that just doesn't happen. So we usually recommend one child functioning as executor. Um, really, that can be a pretty arbitrary decision by the client when it comes to who they trust the most, who's the most responsible, who's the most mature to be able to handle that kind of stuff. Um, can it definitely, can there be hurt feelings? Absolutely. Um, at the end of the day, I always would say if, if there's one kid who has a greater attention to detail and is going to take it seriously, they're usually the very, they're the ones that I would recommend. If there's one that's a spendthrift and maybe you can't really trust as much, then they're not appropriate for the role. It's just not something they're going to be accustomed to doing. They're not going to be really well, going to do it well at all. I know when my mother died, I hope you don't mind me kibitzing a little bit, but when my mother died, I became the executor, and mostly because I'm the oldest one. In fact, my brother is a lawyer, and my sister is probably the boss, if you if you know what I mean, of the, of the three of yep. us. But we, but we get along, and we don't fight. Uh, and uh, so... Uh, uh, well, that's because that's what we would want to see. It makes the executor experience when you're functioning in that role much easier. It, yeah. You don't have to worry as much about people chiming in with their two cents or kind of thinking that they're not getting something that they should be entitled to, especially like personal property items or mom or dad. But really that's, that's what we hear most of the time is that with the oldest child will be the one who's going to be the executor or the one that ends up being who's the CPA in the family or something. I'm, there's an issue that I want to bring up, and I don't know exactly where it can be. Lots of different places, but I might bring it up right now and just see in there. It might be better later. But I know when my wife and I were making out a will. Uh, in fact, uh, your friend John helped us with it. Uh, the uh, the question came up of, of changing things. So uh, if a person, well, it came up that we could put items. Maybe I want to leave my best. Most, my what am I trying to say? My most valuable thing to one of my relatives, and I decide I want to leave it to another. Then I would have to go and go to the lawyer and change the will. And, and it was pointed out that we could make a, we did have to include include that in the will, but attach it as would you call it a codicil or something like that? Uh, if you want to amend a will, it's called a codicil. You have to follow the same formalities of doing a formal will. It's just that all you're doing is probably modifying one or two provisions in the will. And most of the time, you're going to either see it changing the executor because um, they maybe passed away or they just aren't appropriate for the role anymore. Um, the other time we see it is if you're trying to get somebody out of a, you know, some clause where they were receiving property through the estate. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, um, yeah. I'm trying to think of my next question. This is what happens when you have a senior moment here. Um, in terms of... I'd be happy to... Okay, so the rest of the process usually would be if you get us all that information and kind of we put it together at that point in time, you know, well, if it's the case, the typical case that we would see is husband and wife and children is what we normally see. And most of the time, husband and wife are trying to make sure everything goes to the, spouse, the surviving spouse if they're the first one to pass away, and then if the surviving spouse is going to give it to the two children or the three children or however many children are left at the end of the day. Um, most of that planning revolves around, you know, is there, if the children are minors, 
uh, do we need to do something to limit how they're going to receive the property with a trust in there? We also are going to want to make sure that there's a guardian in case anything happens to both of you and the children are minors. We need somebody to be appointed to take care of those children. If so, so like in my case, I have my sister-in-law who's in there. She would be a great person to take care of my children. And my wife and I, we both trust her. So we would want, we have her in our respective wills. And then just making sure our kids get the money when we feel that they are at the assets, when they feel that they're more mature in life instead of maybe just 18 and going out and having the greatest party that the city of Raleigh's ever seen. Well, I know, uh, just to, to add something to that, that not long after Mrs. Kearney and I were married, her sister and her husband, who were older and who had three sons, uh, asked us to be the guardians in case anything happened to them. And we, of course, accepted, but as we were driving away, we looked at each other and said, well, they've got three boys. And I thought, oh, oh what are we going to make this? But the fact is, the youngest one is 55 and married now, so we we didn't have to yeah. deal with that question. Yeah, that's the only moment you look at it and say, boy, I hope nothing happens to them. <laughs> well, I said, I hope he, I hope my brother-in-law, I shouldn't use his name, but I hope he had enough insurance to, to, to take care of things well. Which, which leads me to a question of something I discovered by... Uh, working with as executor of my mother's will, and by listening to you and your predecessor and John, and that is, there are things that I thought would be in a will, like insurance policies and things like that, that in fact do not, are not required to go to probate. Am I saying that right? Yes, yeah, so a lot of assets like IRAs, um, a lot of qualified funds, Roth IRAs, life insurance, anything that has a beneficiary designation on it is going to bypass probate administration. So um, especially when you're married, we actually as estate planners, one of the reasons you come to us is, you know, you want to get a will, but we're also doing the planning, which is to try and get things streamlined. We want, if a beneficiary designation works better than the will, we want you to use the beneficiary designation to get those assets to your spouse and surviving spouse. Also, if your children are mature enough to receive it, we want you to use those type of designations as well. It, sometimes it's not fun to go through probate. I, luckily, you had a good experience as being the executor, but it's much easier if you can just ask the you know, life insurance company for the assets by just presenting what they're asking for and then getting the money from them. And I suspect what you've done, as it was the case with me, the, the time I found out you know, that, that the if you named a beneficiary to a, a pol insurance policy or something, that it went around the the, uh, the process. Uh, uh, there's some people out there who've just heard something that they didn't know. So there's been a, a, a learning experience that has, in fact, gone on uh, tonight. And uh, uh, I, one of the things I did, Andrew, I don't know, you and I haven't swapped stories a lot, but I... I went to my lawyer, one of my lawyers, which is indeed my brother, and I said, what should I do? I don't know what, I'm, I'm telling a story now as we work our way up to the news, uh, sort of vamping, if, if, you, if you will, um, that uh, my brother, who is, has dealt with this, he said, tell him what you need to do is you go to the courthouse and you go into the register of deeds and you find out somebody who handles wills and you do what they tell you to do. <laughs> But he told me, I mean, I have a will. The will was already made. But we, he said, you'll be talking to a person who does this every day and knows what to do. And in fact, I did that, and in fact, it worked out fine. Exactly. Yep. And I think that for most people, when they 
person passes away and they hear that they're going to have to go down to the courthouse, it's good. they think it's going to be this pretty scary experience. It's actually, it's, it's not. It's, it's North Carolina, people in any of the counties around this area are very good at what they do. And most of the, and it's not even most, all of them are very sympathetic to Andrew. Um, 
when we do it well, we do um, the requirements to do, like, to do two witnesses are two unbiased witnesses are the requirements and signature. We tend to do them in the self-proving manner, which just means self-proving affidavit, which just means signature, two witnesses, and a notary signs off that the identity of everybody is known who's signing the will. That's pretty typical in a lot of states now. Um, there are a few states that don't do the self-proving way of a will. So um, if you come from one of those states and you move here, you absolutely need to have your documents reviewed um, because... While I think you you might be all right at the end of the day, you definitely don't want to take that risk, especially if you if you already took all the time to get it correct in the state you're coming from, then having an attorney review it down here to make sure that it's going to be valid and there's not going to be any hiccups at the end of the day is just it's money well invested in my opinion. Um, and also if you did estate planning there, and you also did powers of attorney, you should bring those in as well. That's actually where I see more of the differences are with powers of attorney than I do with wills. Could we talk about that, the, the living wills and the powers of attorney and, and things that are, I guess, auxiliary to a will? I, I'm, I'm not much, uh, I know lawyers yeah. are always careful with words, but I hope that word will do for this purpose. That's fine. Uh, it absolutely does, Tom. The, uh, so, the the typical document, when we do an estate plan, we try to do what I would call a package. We, if you want to do a, a will, a one-off will, that's absolutely fine. We'll do that. What we really, as estate planners, are trying to do, though, is make sure that any point in time where you can't make a decision, whether you're incapacitated or you've passed away, somebody's there to step into your shoes and take care of that for you. So the powers of attorney... There's a, there's a couple. So a durable power of attorney is for finances. Somebody steps into your shoes as a fiduciary and they take care of all of your bank accounts, your real property, your personal property. They pay your bills. They make sure everything maintains status quo. You don't have to be, have passed away for that to be the case, do you? No, if you can actually, you can make those immediately effective if you, if you like, if you're going to, um, most of the time, that's what we do, and by default, in North Carolina now, powers of durable powers of attorney are immediately effective. Um, I would say if, and I come back to this a lot, if you're wanting the document to be effective when you become incapacitated, that's fine, but there can be some hoops to jump through with doctors to try and get that activated then, and also, if the agent is if your agent, the person who's working for you, is somebody that you don't trust enough to make the document immediately effective, you might want to think about who that person being in that role to begin with. Um, and then the other documents that we do for powers of attorney, so uh, healthcare power of attorney, if you're ever incapacitated, somebody, again, steps into your shoes, they make healthcare decisions for you, your procedures, prescriptions, admit you into a nursing home. And we also do what's called an advanced directive. I think people typically hear of it more called, called a living will, is what you hear on the news more often. And a living will is your end-of-life wishes. So if you find yourself in a scenario where death is pretty imminent, um, then you've outlined what you want to happen, Who, if there's going to be a decision-maker there, or if you have just told a healthcare facility or a doctor that you essentially want to pull the plug. I was going to ask you, wouldn't it be good for us if you had a, a long-term position to have shared that particular uh, p 
particular piece of paper with that person. And if you were in a transitional situation in terms of where you were being uh, taken care of, they, they would need to know about it too because often that decision would have to be made uh, rather quickly, is I guess what I want to say. Yeah, and having, uh, I would always, you're obviously always going to want your agent to have those documents because, and that's a, a really good point. If you, if, if the proper parties don't have the documents when they're needed, they aren't really, in advance directive, if death is imminent, you don't have much time to react. And if the, if the players don't have the document to be able to tell the doctors what to do, I mean, it's just a fancy writing is all it is. Well, you need to have shared those with with the people, and, and to well, you know, if it's if it's your children who are going to do it, I know my mother did this with me, and she shared what what she uh, what she wanted to do, uh, and so I, I was aware of what she wanted to do, and there there was no. Uh, I called my sister up and asked her to say, "Tom, you're doing the right thing." But other than that, I, I didn't have to do that. But uh, you know, if we were the two who got to vote on it, so to speak. And, yeah, and, that, and whenever we're in a meeting, that is one of the realities that you're going to have to come to as the person executing that document. If you have a child on there who's going to make that decision for you on advanced directive, then you're going to have to have that conversation at some point in time about you know, these are the scenarios, X, Y, and Z happens to me, then this is what needs to, what needs to be done. Okay, okay. Uh if we were, because of technological limitations, I'm, I'm going to set up a, what is called a radio tease here now, Andrew. That is, don't answer it. We'll answer it after this commercial break that we're going to take. But if we have, I like this. Every, no, every year, every we can turn you into a radio person in no time. Um, <laughs> uh, we might as well have a little fun. Uh, uh, every year that I've done this, when we, we this is a, it is because of the. the the uh, the fact that I'm working from where I'm working from that this is this is limited, but uh, so far we're we're getting along okay. Uh, but the someone would have called in and asked the question. I know my father would certainly have asked this question, and that is, can a person still make a handwritten will, and how would one go about that? And uh, if you will work on that question a little bit when we come back, I think that will be a good radio tease. Tom Kearney here, Hi. along with Andrew Bullard. Uh, for the law firm of Smith, Dendam, and others, and they uh, have—he has come to visit with us tonight to do our annual look at why a person needs to write a will. Most, um, more than 50 percent. It's only—I mean, maybe 52 percent, or maybe 48 percent, but it's around that number. And it's, that's what makes it surprising that it's that large. Americans give up control of some of their property, some of their stuff, whatever that may be and perhaps even who's going to take care of their children by not making a will. And I just quite don't quite understand that. So we are, shall we say, prodding you a little bit tonight uh, to uh, put that uh, on your list of resolutions. And that's how I finally got to do mine. And plus, I, I was on an airplane, and I thought, what happens to my stuff if this plane crashes? But you need to get around to doing it. And we'll talk more about that right after we take this break. On a Tuesday night, it's January 12th, and uh, we are uh, reenacting uh, our yearly uh, our remembrance of the importance of making a will. And we invited uh, 
Andrew Bullard of Smith Denham to come and talk with us tonight, and we've we've done with that. I asked him a question that uh, when we would have had calls, and, and uh, I'm sure it's appeared in someone's mind tonight, uh, was the question of whether you could make, Andrew, is it called a holographic will or something like that? Yep, holographic will. Yep, holographic exactly. when you when you write it in, and but making will and dealing with property and something is in our system of government, which is you know we inherited to a great extent from the British, is pretty old. You know, uh, and uh, the, the traditions are very old. This is some of the oldest law you'll have on the books here. Right, it hasn't changed much at all. When you start working with a man's property, I mean, and that's one of the first. That's actually. The property was there, and the government grew up to protect it. You know, the king, what the king offered, I used to teach history, and so I know a little bit about this, but the guy, the king was there. He he came around and held court every year, and one of the ideas in holding court was to let everybody know who, who was boss, so to speak, and uh, who adjudicated the, the questions. But uh, it came to us, and we're still there. We still have a Supreme Court to, to be the final judge and settle uh, issues that have to can't be settled by lower judges. But... Can we write a will, and how would we do that if we can? Yes, yeah, so you can do a holographic will. Um, there are some requirements to it that it, it needs to be entirely in your handwriting. Um, you, if there's going to be, I wouldn't recommend the, you know, some having typewritten anywhere on the page. It can't be done, but it, it needs to be entirely in your handwriting. Somewhere on the document it needs to appear your name. Too. So, um, trying to write down, you know, like I leave all my property to X, that is not going to work because we can't figure out who I is. Um, it, so, you're going to have to have that appear as well. And then the last requirement, and one, if you're trying to admit it, there are other things that need to be done. But the last requirement is you have to find it in the valuable effects of the person. Um, and really, what that boils down to is. Did you find it in their important papers, or where they would most likely keep their important papers? Was it um, to your house is, or something like that? Bingo. So, like the deeds to your house. You know, if you have that life insurance policy, you're probably going to find something along that lines there. Um, your tax documents, most likely something. You're going to need to find it in that location, and that is that's how you make one. Um, I don't totally recommend them. Uh, they, if it, if you're in a pretty dire situation and it's the only way you can do it say you're getting on that flight and say to yourself well i really just need something before i go and you jot something down on a piece of paper you put it in the desk wherever all your important papers are then that's going to be held up and be sufficient but it also you're trying to do something that is going to in essence have to dispose of everything and you're going to try and get it right on one page is what you're going to do and uh, and I guess I want to reflect from the written will, the handwritten will, back to the will, is, uh, will itself. Those people who sign as uh, witnesses, are they? Is, is, am I right that they can't be mentioned in the will? They should. Yeah, so if you're on, if you're going to do a self-proving will, or a tested will, then absolutely they cannot be mentioned in the will. They can't have any possibility of really taking in the will whatsoever. Um, and that, I mean, if you, that is just a, and that is, that is a North Carolina rule. There might be some states that differ. I don't know anyone that would in some ways, but that is absolutely the rule here. 
Yeah, I was looking for, I, I'm the man on the street here and you're the lawyer, but I'm going to go back for just a second to self-proving. I, I think my, my 50 cent version of the man on the street is what you're talking about. There is a will that's, it's, it's all in one piece. It's been done. It's been notarized. You don't, I don't have to have a bunch of other papers to prove it. It proves itself. Yep, it, yeah, that's the best way to put it. And when you take it into court, you don't have to go find the witnesses to say that this was the person's will. It just is proved automatically by having the two witnesses and the notary there. One of the things that uh, I think I've noticed, uh, and I always like for these programs to be informative, is that the people who practice the kind of law you practice, it's not just a simple matter of making a will. If I came to you and said I want to make a will, you might end up asking me questions about uh, my, my estate more generally and, and the organization of it. Is that, that not the case? That uh, what, That's what happens now for most lawyers? Yeah. Um, every good, all of us will ask you questions about uh, you know, the value of everything. We want to make sure that you're not hitting a state tax level. Um, if we are, if we got to do other strategies. We just also want to make sure kind of how things are transferring. If they're going to go through the world, the life insurance, like you mentioned earlier, if it has a beneficiary designation, we want you to be aware of the fact that it's not going to go through your will mostly and it's going to go through a different device. Um, so we always want to know and take notes on what's going to be there at the end of the day and which assets may be really you don't want to go through a will. You never want them to be there anyways. I mean, IRA or 401k, we would never want that to go to an estate just because of the fact that there's tax problems with it. So we want to make sure you've done it correctly. You know, that's one of the things you're paying for when you hire us to do that type of legal work. And if not, I mean, if you end up, you know, the other alternative is if you don't do that and you end up passing away without a will, then, you know, figure it this way, the state of North Carolina has default rules about who receives your property, and some of them you might not you might not necessarily agree with what the legislators came up with. Well, we've uh, just about filled up our time, and I think we've done the job. You've done the job. You're the brains of this outfit, and uh, as you said, if you have an expert, you might as well get all of him out of you can, and I think we've we've gotten the knowledge we need to make a will tonight, and I, I hope this will be a prod. I'll have to admit to you that uh, that uh, when Sue and I got married, the insurance guy came to sell us a policy, and the first question he asked was, do you have a will? And I procrastinated a number of years before I finally got one, but I was really proud of myself when I did finally get one. Lawrence, uh, no, Andrew, thank you for being with us tonight, and we will talk to you again soon, okay? Happy to do it. Thanks, Tom.